episode of the High Ground Powered by Premier Podcast. And uh, we have esteemed guest Glenn Longenball with us again from Land of Lakes, uh, regional agronomist for Premier Companies. And uh, welcome aboard, Glenn, for another round of the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I think uh, today we're going to kick off the conversation uh, talking about uh, nitrogen stabilizers. We'll jump into uh, some high yield systems later, and I'll kick it over to co-host Sal for uh, for the first uh, first question for you. Yeah, Ryan, we got to tell you last uh, last week we tried our first teams meeting across. I think it was about twelve counties and uh, lots of different devices, and the topics that we talked about with Glenn um, leading the conversation was uh, nitrogen stabilizers. And now, I think, uh, at any other point, we're, we want to make sure we make the most of the nitrogen we have and not lose uh, any nitrogen to the environment. So, Glenn, uh, thanks for getting back with us. And uh, I know we kind of touched on stink bugs and some other topics last time, but now can you tell us how to keep make the most of the nitrogen that we do apply on this corn crop? Because I'm guessing that the, the corn plant doesn't care what it costs per unit of nitrogen, does it? That is, that is true. It, um, uh, you know, there's a maximum uptake of nitrogen and there's a, <clears throat> there's actually a removal of nitrogen. And, and if you saw those two numbers, they're pretty far apart, right? Oftentimes in our part of the world, uh, the uptake of nitrogen is somewhere around a pound uh, per bushel. Um, sometimes in, in our mineral soils, uh, sometimes it makes no sense, but it'll actually be more than a, a pound per bushel. Um, lower yield environments, it'll be more than a pound per bushel. And yet, whenever you look at the removal, uh, you know, it's only about six or seven tenths of a pound per bushel. And so uh, the thing to know about nitrogen is this, guys, it's a leaky system. From the time we make a nitrogen application, there is nitrogen getting away from us. And so, um, you know, different growers, uh, manage nitrogen differently, right? There are those that are around the maximum economic return, right? It's like, I don't want to put any more on than what I'm going to see a positive response uh, because there, we, I know there's this diminishing returns. There's others that it's about, we want the maximum agronomic return to nitrogen. And, um, and then there are those that are just really, it's more about logistics, right? It's, it's you know, I know I got to have nitrogen on, um, I, I farm X number of acres. I can only get over those one time. Uh, you know, these really good acres, I can maybe get over twice. And so for them, it becomes almost more about logistics, right? And so everybody makes a, makes decisions about nitrogen differently. And yet um, there are, they all are, are leaky systems, right? Some of our high yield folks, right, within Premier, uh, that, that go out and use uh, irrigation to make regular applications of nitrogen can get, um, you know, they can get their their nitrogen per bushel uh, of uptake. They can get that really refined down. But but um, those folks that are that are trying to make single applications, uh, oftentimes they have the most loss, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> how much you put on doesn't equate to how much loss you have. If you can put it on timely and, <clears throat> and those, and, and by the way, that's a, that's a, another topic, right? Yeah. Oh, w- what is timely, right? The timely, the most timely way is to put it on 
just as the plant needs it or just in front of when the plant needs it. So, so it's kind of like, uh, was it Woody Hayes that said, uh, when you throw it, when you throw a pass, a lot of things can happen. And only one of them's good. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. So when we apply nitrogen, a lot of things can happen. Only one of them's good. So tell us about the, uh, I guess in layman's terms this time, uh, I've seen you do the nitrogen cycle several times. I can't repeat it. Um, but tell us in layman's terms, um, What's the fate of nitrogen? And, and you said two things there. You, the removal, what the grain, what we actually take out, is a lot different than what it takes to grow the crop. So how do we keep how do we keep the most nitrogen available for the for the corn plant? I know I know there's a lot of variables there with what kind of nitrogen source we use and the timing. But what are our tools? Sure. What are our tools that we have that we can keep the most nitrogen where it's supposed to be and in the form the plant likes. Yeah, so some of those are cultural and some of those are maybe chemical, right? And so culturally, uh, the tools that we use are using the right rate, the right time, um, you know, using, uh, putting it in the, the right place, which is down in the ground, not on the, necessarily on the surface. And, and then lastly, it's about the right form. And, and that right form is always ammonium, NH4. Right. That's not what we put on when we when we put down ammonia. We're putting out NH3 and NH3 has a, you know, it's ammonia. It has a really strong affinity for water. And almost as soon as you make that application, if there's any moisture in the soil, it converts to ammonium hydroxide. And that, that ammonium is really the form that we want to see in the soil. So uh, if we make applications that either are um, you know, that, that either immediately convert to ammonium or uh, eventually convert to ammonium, right? So even urea and UAN applications will convert to ammonium, right? So urea uh, is, is easily broken down by an enzyme, and that enzyme is called urease, and urease is found in all living things, and it's a way for uh, nature to kind of uh, mitigate urea and make it into, um, uh, you know, other things that plants and animals can use, primarily uh, ammonium, because ammonium kind of sounds a little bit like amino groups or amino acids. Well, an NH2 is an amino uh, group or an amino group, and, and that's kind of one of the building blocks of life. And so that's why nitrogen is important. And, um, you know, uh, we could talk about the chemistry all day long, but ultimately it's, it's this, right? We want to try to keep nitrogen in the ammonium form as long as we can. So anytime we use products that degrade quickly into ammonium, they will stay, they have a habit of sticking around longer. If we, you know, another cultural thing we can do is, is the timing. Right. When you consider that pre-plant applications of nitrogen are often subjected to more than a month of weathering. Right. So, if, you know, a fourth of the season uh, goes by uh, when you have the most product on the ground on pre-plant applications. And guess what? You probably haven't taken up 20 or 25 pounds in that first month of uptake. And so when we make pre-plant applications, we really expose ourselves to lots and lots of, uh, of nitrogen loss, right? That's mm. probably the, 
the, the primary way to lose a bunch of nitrogen is go out and make pre-planned applications. So it's about using the right form. It's about using, uh, you know, putting out there at the right time. Uh, so ideally, I'd love to see growers either use a planter or use a weed and feed system to, to basically get, uh, you know, nitrogen down, you know, get some kind of a base down and then come back and make a second application, um, you know, whether that's a side dress or as wide drops, um, you know, make, you know, basically uh, make, uh, you know, this, this, um, uh, this second application really your friend as far as loss. Because those pre-planned applications are really subject to a lot of loss. Yeah, and I like the way you put that. Having it out there for thirty days, Ryan. I mean, that's that's a lot. A lot of things can happen in that time frame to be weathered out there. So putting it on in multiple applications, and and I think uh, most of the time you even recommend uh, three applications, don't you? Kind of the at planting time, uh, twenty or uh, a lower rate of planting, and then coming back with. Uh, uh, maybe some side dress or even some broadcast later. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. I would love to see three applications, but again, it becomes, it becomes a exercise in logistics, right? Can you manage that? I know farms that are easy, right? They're, they're rectangular. They have long rows. Uh, you know, those fields are easily managed uh, for multiple applications, but you have other farms you know, you've heard me say that I've got a farm that's shaped like a squid that's mating with another squid. And, you know, that farm is what? not <laughs> conducive, right? When it's when it's basically a bunch of hilltops that, that, that snake in and out and they're wide and then they're narrow. You know, that's not a farm that's conducive for top dress uh, and certainly not side dress applications, right? Because you got so many point rows, you would end up running over more corn than you would be aiding. So in that case, you know, we probably need to think about, uh, you know, maybe broadcast top dress applications, uh, maybe after emergence, but certainly before it gets into that stage where you can, you can really damage a lot of corn. So, so I hate to make it sound so simple, right? That's what most technical experts do. They make it just sound like it's just so simple and it's really not, right? When you put that farmer hat on and it's your choice and you're, uh, you're trying to decide, you know, how do I navigate? How much do I put down early? How much do I come back and side dress with? Or how much do I put in a, in a wide, wrap, wide drop application? <clears throat> you know, th- there's a lot of emotion, right? You, <laughs> there is nothing more unsettling for a grower right? Nothing more unsettling than not having your nitrogen on, having corn in a, you know, a V5, V6 timeframe and having a wet forecast, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's nothing probably more emotional to a grower than that because you, you uh, I can tell you that personally, I side dress and I hate it every year until I get done. And when I get done, it's like, Man, I know of all the things I do, I probably made myself more pesos uh, side dressing these applications uh, than any other thing I do. But, um, you know, one of the things I have, you know, we've talked about the, you know, this temporal component. We've talked about, uh, you know, uh, using the right form and putting it in the ground as opposed to surface applications. But ultimately, there's another set of tools that oftentimes are considered maybe a little bit expensive and that would be the fertilizer additives and yet this year those fertilizer additives look um, uh, very reasonable right so when you're paying 30 to 35 cents a unit for nitrogen uh, 
uh, you know, like we were uh, maybe in some previous years, then, you know, spending, you know, 10 to $20 for a nitrogen stabilizer, I really don't know how much they cost, honestly. I don't have any kind of a pricing sheet in front of me, but they're, they're relatively expensive. And in the past, it's like, wow, I could put on a lot of units for that. Uh, you know, for that price tag, and especially if I split apply them. But today, I don't care what form you use, you're looking at a dollar plus a unit. And so for our guys that are, that are high, um, you know, uh, intensive managers, high management corn growers, that are often in a way in excess of 200 uh, pounds per acre, right? <laughs> you take a dollar a pound and I don't care what form you use and how well you buy it, you're probably going to have, you know, 225 to $275 an acre, right? It's, it's going to be very expensive. And so then those, those, what we have, have commonly referred to as stabilizers, they're not all stabilizers, but, but those products that we call stabilizers look a lot more reasonable, right? Because, uh, it only takes, you know, 10 to 15 pounds of loss to make a big dent in that, in that um, uh, fertilizer additive. And so fertilizer additives, before you even ask, let me, let me break this down, right? There are two really camps of fertilizer additives. There are the, the additives that we put on when we make surface applications, right? So if we're making surface applications of urea or UAN, right, 28%, 32%, and we're putting them on top of the ground and we're not planning on working those in absolutely positively every time, right? Every one of those applications should have Agritain, Lemus, you know, some kind of a urease inhibitor, right? And there's there's several products on the market. Uh, if they contain NBPT or NPPT, right, then those products will put, keep urease at bay and keep them from converting into from urea into ammonia at the surface. And the reason why that's important is if we don't if we don't stop that reaction at the surface, if urea converts to ammonia at the surface, guess what? It oftentimes, a large portion of it will not get bound with the water in the surface, but will actually volatilize, right? And go back into the atmosphere. And so that's a huge loss. And, and those losses could be, you know, 25, 30% pretty easily if you have warm conditions and um, uh, the urease is, is active and, um, uh, you, you know, you, you can have a lot of loss there. So that's one camp of nitrogen stabilizers. They're called urease inhibitors. Think of uh, uh, the, the ones that we've traditionally used is Agritain or Anvol or Super Urea, right? That's the three products. There is another group of products, though, that work below ground, and those below ground products are basically exploiting or they're screwing up uh, a process we call nitrification, right? And so uh, if we make an ammonia application or a urea application and we get it down into the ground and it converts to ammonium, which is the form that we want, you know, ammonium stays put really, really well. But it does have a fate, and it's a fate. Its fate is that it will degrade via a couple of different microbes into nitrate, right? Uh, the first of these microbes is called nitrosomonas. The second is called nitrobacter. 
And that process is called nitrification. You can slow nitrification. You don't normally stop nitrification. And so when we make below ground applications, right, uh, as ammonium or, or, excuse me, as ammonia or urea, it's going to convert to ammonium. And then we make, we put uh, insert or instinct on those products to keep them as ammonium. Because we can keep them as ammonium, they will stay eligible to be taken up by that plant for a long period of time. Now, nitrification itself isn't bad because uh, plants take up more nitrate, which is the fate of ammonium. They take up more nitrate than they do uh, ammonium. But <laughs> once it gets in that nitrate form, it is really eligible for loss, right? So nitrate is NO3 two minus, it's negatively charged, excuse me, one minus. It has a, a, a one extra electron, it's out of configuration. I know no one on here cares. You just need to know that it's negatively charged. So it's not held <laughs> Ryan, to the soil column. Ryan is making get, notes as fast as he can. I'm right now. So he is. <laughs> I am so sorry. I tell you, this is a problem when you ask agronomists a question, right? We want to build you clocks, right? Uh, but but nitrate has. You you ask us what time it is, and we start building clocks, man. But uh, yeah, so nitrate it's NO3, it's one minus sulfate, right? Is another uh, common anion that plants need to take up and it is SO4 two minus, right? So it's really negatively charged. Neither one of which, right, is held closely to a soil colloid. And so if you get a big rainfall event after nitrification has taken place, that nitrate can easily go right out the bottom of your profile. It can end up in the groundwater. It can go out the field tiles and get, be in your surface water. Um, you know, uh, neither one of those are a huge environmental risk but it's just costing us bunches and bunches of dollars. And then there's another loss. And that is, let's say we get a big rain event and it rains enough like we did in 2019 where the water actually stays ponded on the surface. You know, when you have anaerobic conditions, there are microbes in the soil, not nitrosomonas or nitrobacter, but other microbes that can utilize the oxygen that's on nitrate to actually respire. And what they do is they'll, they'll basically use your uh, nitrate as a substrate in these anaerobic or without air conditions, and they will give off uh, nitrous oxide and nitric oxide, which are both greenhouse gases. So those are also bad for the environment. Whether it leaves the field in the air or whether it leaves the field uh, out the tile line, uh, it's an environmental hazard. And this is one of the reasons why we need to start uh, adopting these other technologies, right? And I don't mean just fertilizer additives. I mean, fertilizer additives, spoon feeding nitrogen, trying to, to make multiple applications per year, right? All of these things are good for the environment uh, and, and they're good for our wallet, right? But sure. these fertilizer additives in the past where growers thought, well, I think that's maybe a little high, man, fertilizer additives this year are going to be really, really uh, inexpensive in comparison to the cost of nitrogen. I'm sorry to have belabored that. No, I think that's important. Um, one thing I would ask uh, for you to explain to uh, the listeners a little bit, we pull soil tests and we're always looking for levels to which we would uh, apply to. Nitrogen's a little different and you've already referred to the pound per bushel depending on the soil types we have and mineral soils being different. Um, 
and and so that rule of thumb that we have are there ways um I mean, obviously, you can tissue test a plant, and you'll have some idea of that nitrogen. But that doesn't tell you anything about the available nitrogen in the soil or nitrogen that could still yet be converted. So you're sitting there to get, uh, uh, thinking about a side dress pass, and you think, I wonder how many pounds I should put on. What is a, what is a, a good way... Uh, the best way potentially to know how do I make that? I, I think I want to shoot for 220 bushel corn. I'm roughly thinking a pound per bushel. I've already got 180 on side dress. It's been wet. I mean, are there rules of thumb that I can go out there without saying, well, it's been a little wet. I need 40 additional pounds. I ought to put 60 on. You just talked about environmental impacts of losing yeah. nitrates and sulfates. You've talked about the fact that some of it will just get away from us, so we just can't get it. Ultimately, anything that doesn't go into plant, environmental uh, or not, it is expensive. How do we find? How do we find out and make an educated guess on what our next pass should be? Wow, Ryan, what a what an open-ended question. And I hope you guys have another 45 minutes. Start building the clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There's now, your springs actually, in your hands. Build the clock. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna simplify this. First of all, you need to know that if we knew if we could if we could model or we could had a soil test that we could easily judge how much nitrogen is gonna be available to a plant, then we wouldn't have we wouldn't have given away as many PhDs as we have in nitrogen management, right? So you, you take the last forty years, and we have probably universities have probably had more PhDs earned on different parts of of the you know managing nitrogen than any other topic. And in reality, we're back at almost the exact same values, right? Other than now we don't take a soybean credit where we used to take a soybean credit, but had a bigger, you know, uh, you know, we had a bigger number for how many pounds it took per bushel, but then we'd take this, you know, we'd take this soybean nitrogen credit. In reality, right, all the PhDs were earned, all the insights, all the models, and we're back to using almost exactly the same amounts that we used in this in the 70s, right? I mean, the numbers have not changed much, but I think there is some there are some tools that you can use. First of all, you can take soil samples and you have to send them to a lab, right? And then you'll get what's called an you'll you'll ask for both ammonium and nitrate, right? A lot of folks, right, are, are using nitrate tests to maybe manage nitrogen. The problem with nitrate tests is that's only a portion of the equation, right? Nitrate tests tell you how much was converted into nitrate. They don't tell you how much is in reserve as ammonium. So if you want a real uh, quantitative figure of how much uh, you have in reserves and eligible to be taken up, you have to have both numbers, right? And so you send that sample to SureTech and uh, they're gonna send it back in parts per million. And then you need to know how deep you sample. But I still think there's a fair amount of, of you know, licking your finger and sticking it in the air, right? With, with, that, um, uh, with that system. You know, you can take tissue samples, right? To get insights on, you know, how much nitrogen is actually in the plant. Uh, it doesn't tell you how much is in the soil, but it tells you if maybe you've been limited on the plant. You know, ultimately, um, I tell you, there are a couple of pretty good models out there. Uh, one of them is climate has a pretty good model. And the one that's probably the single most thorough model out there is called FET. 
And that's a Winfield model. Now, it's terribly time consuming to put uh, numbers into, but oftentimes uh, you can get a Winfield person to, um, you know, put the numbers in on a given soil. I mean, it's, it's specific to a given farm. But oftentimes you can put the metrics in for a farm and then you can extrapolate those results, right? Because if it's wet, uh, you know, if it's wet in the, in the southern part of the county, it's probably wet at Ligoti too, right? So you could, you could very easily extrapolate that data and say, hey, I think I've lost a lot. So uh, again, you've got modeling, you have uh, sampling, uh, whether that's tissue or soil, but there is no wonderful one way to um, uh, to really manage nitrogen in season, right? It, it, it does become a little bit more art than, than science, right? Okay. Does that make sense? It certainly does. And, uh, and, and I can tell you, by the way, I can tell you why that is, right? We've earned all these PhDs because the nitrogen cycle is so crazy complex, right? At, simultaneously at any one time, right, we have nitrification taking place, we have denitrification, we have leaching, we have mineralization, right? We have fixation from, from legumes, we have uh, fixation from the atmosphere with lightning storms. Uh, so you have all of these metrics taking place mm-hmm. simultaneously, right? And, and so you're not solving, right? <laughs> you know, there's some people that think, oh, we can fix that with math. Well, I got news for you. Um, it, it's pretty easy uh, for people that are good with, uh, you know, calculus or uh, algebra uh, to, to, to solve for one variable or maybe even two or three variables. But when you start talking about a half a dozen variables at a time, it, it becomes very, very difficult. That's the reason why this becomes, uh, you know, more of a dart throwing contest than it is an exact. But these models like FE, you know, like FET um, or uh, uh, climate do a pretty decent job of helping you forecast what you've lost. But yeah. Sorry, that was so belated. No, but it's just interesting that we end up where we started. You know, we get back to we've done a lot of work over the years and we're st- and we came back to where we were um in the early 90s or even in the 70s and that's trying to to shoot for a, a pound uh, per bushel of yield goal so but glenn i think absolutely i think you've really taken us through the um uh, the nitrogen cycle and uh we've we've got those nitrogen stabilizer products whether it's above ground or below ground at premier ag and, and if you have further questions uh premier ag just talk with your account manager and uh ask them about the benefits and um, of uh stabilizing nitrogen and Glenn, we're going to have you back on the high ground um, for another podcast and and talk about another topic, a tar spot, which was very prevalent uh, prevalent last year and and uh, causing a lot of heartache going into twenty twenty two and anxiety. So, so sure, uh, Ryan, do you have anything else for Glenn? Nope, I appreciate it. I've got I've got full page of notes here, so <laughs> I'm ready to make nitrogen recommendations. All right, thanks very again, good. Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. No, thanks, guys.